Our reading is from Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 to 23. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 to 23. And it reads, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so it was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Achelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what, the, what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Amen. Christmas, Christmas is here. Christmas is here. And Happy Christmas or Merry Christmas, depending on where you come from and what you prefer. Um, Again, a very warm welcome from me to those who are visiting with us for the first time um, that I've managed to see or, or haven't seen yet. Um, it's it's a very it's so very good to to have you around. A lot of us are away, so so we miss some of our church family this Christmas. Uh, those students who've gone back to their home countries, and of course those who've travelled also to be with the families uh, um, amongst us. So we we miss them very dearly. But it's great, nevertheless, to be together today. Uh, it's also great to see children. Um, for a moment, if children want, want to come, you can come here uh, or, or sit down or you can be in, in your place. Um, children are welcome to participate in this Christmas service. Just this morning, one of my daughters shouted out, I love Christmas! And all of my children joined in. You know, are there any more children today who love Christmas? Any more children today who love Christmas? Hands up. Yes, I see. Yeah, look, Claire, great. Who's there? Yes, more children who love Christmas. That is very good. 
I bet you have your own reasons why you love Christmas, right? Um, it's lots of hot chocolate presents under the Christmas tree and the rest. We, we, know, we know how the story goes. And what's not to love about Christmas, right? Why would anyone in their right mind not love Christmas? Children, if you want to pay attention just a little bit, a little bit more, have you in fact heard of anyone at all who hates Christmas? You know, not just, not just being sad on Christmas, but who hates Christmas. Anyone comes to mind? I hear, yeah, I mean, Grinch. Grinch is the one. I also thought about Grinch. Do we have... Do we know how what Grinch looks like? Is that is that Grinch? Does anyone remember why Grinch hated Christmas? Any ideas? Yes, there were all sorts of reasons why he didn't like Christmas. Thanks. Uh, and and he grew to hate Christmas. In, uh, it's, it's, it's sad, isn't it? So, children, ch children, in today's reading, did you spot a Grinch-like person? Anyone? Did you spot in our today's reading a Grinch-like person? No? Yes, Timmy? Any ideas? His name? Anyone spot a Grinch-like person in our Matthew, Matthew Gospel reading? No one. Any grown-ups can help? Herod, yeah, he was a Grinch-like person. He hated Christmas. Why? Because he hated Jesus. That's, that's sad, very sad. And, and uh, maybe you remember from previous weeks, children, who were those who loved Christmas because they loved Jesus? Yes? No one, no one remembers. Anyone here? Any grown-ups can help? Who loved Christmas because they loved Jesus? Who were those? Magi, yes, the wise men from the east. They loved Christmas. Now, and uh, yes, and, and we are called, we are called to imitate, not Herod, who hated Christmas, but the Magi, who loved Jesus, and therefore they loved Christmas. Now, I will speak a little bit more with parents about this thing, okay? But children, if you get slight, just slightly bored, you can get the coloring sheets there in front with pencils with the wise men. Obviously, we have no coloring sheets with Herod. Because he hated Christmas. Why wouldn't we color Herod, right? So we have a lot of coloring sheets with the wise men who loved Jesus and therefore who loved Christmas. So you can go there, pick up your favorite coloring sheet and the pencils, and Madra will help you. And you can color the wise men. And so you can remember uh, that they are the ones whom we should imitate. Right, so while children go and pick up their favorite coloring sheet, we can get on with it. Um, actually, there was one particular Christmas when I ended up being Grinch. Yes, as a junior pastor of a large church, I was invited to speak at 
children's preschool Christmas celebration. And during my talk, um, my Christmas talk, I think I ended up implicitly but very clearly uh, suggesting that there is no SC. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? SC. You know, I've, I've become more considerate, more kind of careful. Um, a couple of parents whose children were actually listening to my talk, they went back home and they said to their parents, the pastor ruined my Christmas. You know, after, after, after recovering from the pushback from some parents and the head of the preschool, I think I just mentioned in one of the conversations, isn't that amazing how quickly um, our Christmas can be ruined? Why is that? Isn't it true that all of those children would have gone back to their clean and warm um, middle-class homes and still would have their presents under the Christmas tree. Well, I, I left out the part about the middle-class uh, homes because that would be already too much, I think. But it just made me wonder, what's behind the noise of the real meaning of Christmas? How come people feel so comfortable with the SC, right? Santa Claus. Uh, while being so worked up and insecure about the Jesus child. Now, what about us? What about you today? What about you? Is Jesus at the heart of your Christmas joy? Or does he make you feel insecure? Does he make you feel insecure in a way you kind of want to sort of push him out a little bit? I think Matthew, Matthew helps us to figure this out today. He presents us with Grinch, Herod, who hated Christmas. And Herod was on the mission to ruin Christmas. Not only for a tiny village, as we will see, but Herod was on a mission to ruin Christmas for the entire world Well, just glance back, if you, if you um, can, in chapter 2. We saw how the Magi, how the Magi from Babylon arrived in Jerusalem to worship the king of the Jews. Now, there was already a king on the throne, Herod. But he knew very well that he was not that king of the Jews. Why? Because the Magi reported him what was written in the scriptures. That Jesus was the king. And that that is why we didn't believe him when he said to Magi, do you remember? Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And we were right to suspect Herod, of his insincerity. As soon as the Magi were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, warning of Herod's murderous intentions. So we see clearly how Herod 
hated the new thing. He hated, sorry, the new king. It's all there in verse 16. You will see that on the screen. Verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Now it's worth knowing a couple of facts about Herod. At the time of the first Christmas, Israel was part of the vast Romans empire and Herod the Great he had conquered that region from the Hasmoneans in 37 BC and was tolerated by the Romans as a puppet king. Herod is famous for some incredible building projects like Herodium, you know, this impregnable fortress in the, the hallowed out mountain. It's really huge. He was, by any estimate, really a megalomaniac. But how insecure, how insecure one must be to feel threatened by a toddler. Imagine little Edmunds coming every time, and I would like, like jump like this, like, oh, like in, you know, completely terrified. How crazy one should be to want to murder a two-year-old boy. How utterly delusional one must be to order the killing of the, all the toddler boys in a village. And I think we can have a pretty good idea what Herod's Christmas card would have looked like. It would have looked like something like this. Brugger the Elder, the 16th century painting um, that is called Massacre of Innocence. At the first glance, it looks like a fairly nice Christmas card, doesn't it? But the author, author painted this painting after our passage. When we look more carefully, we see leafless trees, you know, snow-topped cottages in a street carnival. It looks very much like a, a Christmas card. But then we spot other things, as the Herod's orders being carried out, a standing woman grieves over her dead baby lying in the snow. A couple of uh, seem to beg a soldier to take their daughter rather than their boy to be killed. A group of soldiers stab with pikes at a pile of babies, a truly, truly horrifying picture. And I think that Bruegel's visual, visualization is a perfect picture of the first Christmas in that village and what the author says in verse 18. A voice is heard in Rama, weeping and great mourning, children weeping for her, uh, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because there are no more. And we meant to see how things have gotten actually 
worse. You know, verse 18, verse 18 describes the horrors of the brutality of the foreign army invading Israel. But here, here we have the shepherd and the king of his own people committing a genocide. Twelve families, according to the historians, were left without their children that day. The beds will remain empty, presents unopened, and grief unimaginable. We are supposed to see this and ask, what sort of shepherd king is Herod? He hated the king of the Jews and the Christmas he has come to bring. Now, we are to be shocked, genuinely shocked, but I don't think we are supposed to be surprised because the biblical account of the slaughter in Bethlehem is absolutely in keeping about what we know about this Grinch Herod from other historical sources. So here are some other facts we know about Herod. He was paranoid that his wife, Miriam, wanted to poison him, and so he had executed her, his own wife. He prosecuted his three sons, Alexander, Aristobulus, and Antipater. Why? For treason, and had them executed too. The Emperor Augustus reportedly joked that, it's, that, that he would rather be Herod's pig than his son. You know, being Jewish, being Jewish, Herod didn't eat pork, so the pig had a much greater chance to survive than his own child. And towards the end of his life, and this is like really climactic, Herod got concerned that his own citizens might not be sad to see him go. I wonder why, right? So he came up with a brilliant plan to lure in a bunch of famous people into the, the Hippodrome in Jerusalem. And at the moment of his own death, had the soldiers surround these famous people and massacre them. And that's what Herod said. So shall all Judea and every household weep for me, whether they want to or not. What a king. What a shepherd. What first Christmas. Now, friends, I, I do recognize initially, initially when I was considering this passage, I was really in dialogue with myself. Should I choose this passage for Christmas? I guess I didn't want to be Grinch who takes away all Christmas cheer on a Christmas Eve. Our Christmas passage seems so dark. It seems so violent. It seems so bloody. So not Christmas. So not Christmas-like, or is it? Now, what about our world? Are we really living in a less violent world today, a more secure world? Have we improved much since Herod? What about Christmas 2023 in the Middle East today? 
orders are given and carried out, missiles are flying and innocent children are dying. What about Christmas 2003 in Ukraine today? Same, isn't it? Orders are given and carried out, drones are flying, and innocent children are dying. But not just governments, not just dictators. This week, a philosophy student in Prague, Czech Republic, gunned down 14 of his unimates. In social media, he wrote beforehand how he hates this world and wants to leave behind as much suffering as he can. So, insecure, crazy, and power-greedy dictators, leaders, and ordinary people desperately clinging to their thrones by all means necessary, even today. So, not much peace, not much comfort, not much cheer this Christmas in so many parts of the world. So I think the message of this passage actually fits really well into today's Christmas. You see, as we read about Herod and the slaughter in Bethlehem, we are not meant to despair. You know, when we see the horrors of the Israeli-Gaza war, or when we see the Russian aggression in Ukraine, we are not to be dismayed. The evil in this world is real. It is devastating. Yes. It seems so random. It seems so uncontrolled. Yes, it is real. Yes, it is devastating. But it is not uncontrolled. And have you noticed in our passage today how the Lord sovereignly guides this one family through the angel of the Lord, this child who's on a special mission. Nothing touches him. In the midst of chaos, uncertainty, violence, the Lord sovereignly sustains his king who's on his mission. And doesn't, doesn't, doesn't it make you hopeful? Doesn't it make you want to put your life in the hands of just this king? You see, as we read about the horrors here, and as we see the devastation around us in the world, we are meant to long for a better ruler, a better government, something reliable, some hopeful. And that is what the Magi were recognizing in the child in front of them. As they bowed down and worshipped Jesus, giving their gifts, they made a grand confession. Do you remember the first reading? Hear it again. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, 
mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the government of, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and for, uh, over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from the time on and evermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, who would not want to live under the rule of peace, under the rule of perfect justice and righteousness? Who would not want to submit to such a king and shepherd? So, my friends, today we're meant to see that Jesus is the long-awaited shepherd king that all the world needs, that Herod hates, that the Magi love. And so Matthew gives us a hint about which character we should imitate. Don't be like Grinch Herod who hated Christmas because he hated Jesus. Be like the Magi. Be overjoyed and love the true king. So the second thing is love the true king. So Matthew, Matthew tells how the Magi overjoyfully worshipped Jesus and peacefully headed back to their own country. And I think we are meant to ask ourselves a question. Do I love Jesus? Do I love Jesus? Do I spot in this child, two-year-old, the mighty God and the Prince of Peace, who is to be worshipped and loved? Well, you should. You should. Because see what happens with the Jesus haters, verse 19. Only three words devoted to Grinch Herod after Herod died. That's it. After Herod died. Three words devoted to him, and he's off the stage. Jesus' haters get removed. Obviously, obviously we don't like to be compared with either Herod, you know, the, the lunatic dictator, or with crazy-going philosophy students who um, enjoy bringing suffering in the world. We don't like to be compared with these people. In fact, I very well picture the conversation that I would have with my non-Christian friend of 25 years. Now, he would, he would deny hating Jesus. For him, Christ embodies the idea of goodness and charity that he thinks he himself possesses deep inside of him. He would claim to be a different kind of philosophy student. But is that who we really are deep inside? Well, the problem is that at the end of the day, we have to confess that we all share one common thing, both with Herod and people like him, a characteristic that is hostile to the King Jesus and deserves an eternal removal. We all want to sit on our thrones and be the king 
of our lives. We all. And that's why Magi's response to Jesus is so noteworthy. To worship and love Jesus means surrender your place on the throne and bow down before a King Jesus. I, I love the song that Carlos um, sang before the sermon. In our hearts, you know, uh, what, was the, what was the line? Uh, in our hearts make throne for him, right? Naturally, naturally we don't want to do this. You see, the Magi, the wise men from the East, they knew very well what Jesus was after. You know, they knew very well that Jesus really was after their place on the throne. In the same way, Herod knew really well that Jesus was after his place on the throne. And friends, in the same way, Jesus is after your place and my place on the throne. So what's your response to Jesus claiming your place on the throne? Do you welcome it or do you resent it? Do you dislike it or do you hate it? Or do you confess that unless the King Jesus takes over running your life, you, your life will inevitably go off the rail. You will mess it up, surely. Well, the reliably true and the truly hopeful message of Christmas is this. Jesus has come into the world to take not only your place on the throne, but he has also come into the world to take your place on the cross. You know, the truth hidden in the plain sight, this truth can be found in verse 15. Look at verse 15. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophets. Out of Egypt I called my son. You know, we can, we can miss this little kind of fulfillment of the prophecy as kind of a, a geolocation you know, sort of change of geolocation. But no, that's a very important allusion to the Old Testament. And how God, the sh their shepherd king, at one point delivered Israel, his people, from the slavery in Egypt. But what is it the fulfillment of? You know, we're meant to see that now Jesus is the shepherd king of his people, who delivers his people from the slavery to sin. Do you remember? Do you remember chapter 1, verse 21? You will call his name Jesus. What does the name of Jesus mean? Who remembers? What does Jesus mean? No, that was Emmanuel. Jesus, for... He will save his people from their sins. Jesus means God saves. God saves. But the way Jesus did it was not kind of coming with a with, you know, military coup, a revolutionary leader. But Jesus accomplished that through the suffering on the cross. 
On the cross, Jesus bore in his body all the punishment for my sin and your sin that we deserved. That we might experience today the true joy of Christmas. The true joy of Christmas. The joy that is found in surrendering our lives to the King Jesus and his loving rule. So what is at the heart of our Christmas joy today? What is our comfort? What is our shelter? Is it, is it um, you know, is it security and Christmas uh, sentiment? Is it feeling and, you know, the feelings and the fleeting joy of Christmas pleasures? Is it presents and Christmas pudding? Is it even, you know, our family and friends that at, that's at the heart of our Christmas joy? Friends, what if, what if all of that gets taken away? What if we lose it all? as so many people do in so many parts of the world. You know, would we naturally be willing to part with our family, friends, homes, presents, and Christmas pudding? Well, in my opinion, Christmas pudding can go. I don't like it anyway. And we're not, about, we're not big about Christmas trees, as you can see. You know, it's, it's there in the corner. But friends, the Magi show us where the true Christmas joy is found. It is found in abandoning our thrones with all the treasures that come with it and putting it all at the feet of the King Jesus. Christmas teaches us about readiness to give up in order to gain. That's what Christmas teaches us because what we gain is so much valuable it is imperishable it is relationships with Jesus that start now and continue forever I don't know whether you've heard of this man called Jim Elliot Jim Elliot he was a well-known missionary and he's a well-known missionary and martyr who lived in 1950s in the United States. And here is what he said. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Did you catch it? He is no fool who gives up what he cannot he keep to gain what he cannot lose. And he practiced what he preached by giving up his life for Jesus. Jim was talking about the treasures of having comfort and shelter in the new King Jesus. It is all there. Just come and receive it. Like the Magi, they came. Yes, they received something, but they, they gave something, but they received so much more. But your throne abandon, you must. And why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? How do you not love and give your all for someone who has loved and given his all to save you?
So we call to love and worship the King Jesus. Let's close with a prayer. Let's pray. A loving Heavenly Father, this Christmas we thank you so much for your Son, the King and Lord Jesus. He really is the reason for this season. Thank you for sovereignly sustaining this one family through the horrors of the first Christmas. As Herod, who hated Jesus, massacred so many innocent children. Father, as we think about this, we confess that we live in just such a broken world today. Father, this Christmas we pray particularly for all the families and children who are there no more in Israel and Gaza and also Ukraine. Father, our hearts are broken for the injustice and violence that seems so random and so uncontrolled. But Father, we are also meant to confess that you are still in charge. We can't see and make sense of all this random violence, but we pray that you sovereignly would reveal your Son, the risen King Jesus, in the midst of pain and suffering and so much loss. And dear Father, we confess even today that deep in our hearts, apart from your work, we too want to sit on our little thrones and run our lives independently of you. And so, Father, we ask, please help us continually welcome Jesus in our hearts and enthrone him above all. So, Jesus, really we welcome you today. Please, please do take over our lives and run them. Please help us submit to your loving rule. You know us best. You know um, our insecurities, our pains, our suffering, our longings. And so we ask you, please kindly come and take over ruling our lives so that we would love you and we would serve you and we would worship you wholeheartedly. We know that apart from your work, the work of the Spirit, we cannot do it. So we ask for your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.